The Education Channel supports individual educational goals and encourages creativity for all. Visit uctv.tv slash education. Hello, everyone. It is so good to be with you today in the virtual world where we are talking about an amazing, important, and critical topic, serving Black students with excellence. And I'm so excited today that I'm joined with two amazing panelists. We have some Black girl magic going on. I hope you girls have your coffee cup. And you are ready to have this conversation to enlighten the educational community about how we are serving our Black students well with excellence, to give tips, to give pointers, to challenge our viewers today, to let them know that this is a problem, a challenge that everyone must tackle. So we're talking about today perspectives on how to overcome challenges for African-American students and how they can, should receive a quality, equitable, high-class education in the state of California. So I have today with me Nicole Jones, and I'll let you uh, talk about who you are a little bit, and also Dr. Cheryl James Ward. Uh, We'll start off with you, Nicole. Just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're bringing to the table today. Thank you, Dr. Griffith. It's a pleasure for me to be here today. I'm really excited to be a part of this conversation, in particular concerning academic excellence for our African-American Black students. I am Nicole Jones. I am an educator, um, post-secondary primarily for the last 17 years, working in two-year and four-year institutions. I have worked as a tenured faculty member, but for the last six years, I've been serving in the capacity of administration. I'm very passionate about education, and I have worked thoroughly within the system, boots on the ground to the middle management or executive level to make sure that we can make a difference, in particular for those students who are out on the fringes disproportionately impacted. This is a long-standing problem, academic uh, achievement and excellence for Black students. As a person who has spent a lot of time in education, not only working, but as a student, I understand holistically what those challenges are. I am also a parent of students. So I bring a very well-rounded perspective in terms of um, how to attack these these issues. So I'm, it, I'm really excited about this conversation you know, from the you know educator perspective, parent perspective, and community member perspective. Awesome. Well, we're going to have a great time together. Uh, Dr. Cheryl Ward, tell our audience who you are and what you bring to the table today. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I'm the CEO of E3 Civic High, which is a high school in the downtown library noted as one of the most innovative in the nation. I am following in the footsteps of Dr. Griffith, who was the founding CEO of E3 Civic High. Um, I came to E3 as a professor at San Diego State, a tenured professor doing research around 21st century schools. And I was very fascinated with the work at E3. And so that's how I ended up at E3. Uh, So obviously a tenured professor for San Diego State. I am a professor emerita at this time. I still chair dissertation committees for work around 21st century schools. Um, I was a principal, a supervisor of schools for the Long Beach Unified School District. Prior to that, a math teacher and uh, a software engineer for NASA Jet Propulsion Lab. Um, I have two children myself who are in high school. Um, two African-American kids, if you didn't know that. Um, And uh, my two kids are two to three years ahead in mathematics. So they're trying to figure out what to do with them now um, at the high school level. And I say that because uh, we know that all kids can succeed and can succeed at high levels 
We just need to put the time in and, 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 and have the resources and know how to do that. The, the will, the will to do that more than anything. So I'm very happy to be here this morning and to be part of this conversation. Well, it's great that we all bring a perspective from motherhood to educator. Um, and of course, from the post-secondary K-12 arena, it was exciting to, to note audience that Dr. Ward was my dissertation chair and she put me through the rigors. And uh, it's because of her that I'm here today with a doctorate degree. And we can talk about these issues from an informed perspective. So we're just glad to be in the conversation. Now, many of us in our schools are members of the California Charter Schools Association. We bring that rich perspective. And just a little bit about me for our viewers. I uh, come from San Diego. I'm a native from the underrepresented community of Southeast San Diego. I'm currently the a founding, uh, inaugural actually, executive director of the Proy School, UC San Diego, where I'm also an alum. A native of San Diego, raised in San Diego, I had the privilege of opening three new schools in San Diego, which Dr. Ward mentioned, E3 Civic High, uh, opened the Millennial Tech Middle, and it was on a team to open the new Lincoln High School. So we've been in the trenches, we've been in the community, we've been in the communities where we've lived and with people who look like us and with people who don't. So we're with mirrors and windows. So we're here to talk today about some of the challenges. And so looking at our public charter schools, over the past 10 years, Black students have enrolled in public charter schools at alarming rates. We've moved from 35,000 students in 2019 to almost 50,000 students currently. That's a shift. What is that saying to us? That probably our Black parents are looking for an experience that has an excellent quality, which should be across the board in all public schools, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in our schools. Dr. Ward, let's talk a little bit about our challenges with our Black male students. You're a mother of a Black male. I, of the three of us, all have sons, and we have particular interests. We have particular insight, not as just a mom, but of course, what we've seen in the educational system from K to, to post-secondary with, doc, with uh, Nicole Jones on the line. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges our Black male students are facing and how we can bring excellence to their world. Well, one of the main ones, I think, are the biases that exist, right? And so we, we know that those biases exist because we have higher numbers of African-American uh, students and males in particular who are suspended, who are expelled or excluded from school for the same offenses that other students are not. Uh, we have high numbers of kids suspended or expelled for defiance. And so now the state has put in uh, a mandate that you can't suspend kids from K through three for defiance. So you know it's a problem if we're suspending little kiddos um, for defiance. So bias is an issue. The, the, the notion that uh, kids of color, that black kids in particular, um, are troublesome, that they um, misbehave in class, that their intent is to misbehave. Uh, so that's one of the, the issues that faces our kiddos. And, and we know that is true. We saw that the situation um, recently or just in general uh, where uh, Black Lives Matters movements are treated a little differently than others. So that is an issue that has to be addressed is the bias. And I'm just going to talk about one other issue is that um, the what is in our history books, the belief systems that we find in those history books. So we see one story in the history book and we are made to believe that that is the story, that there is no other story. Um, 
And so that is something that we need to address across the board. So those are two of the issues that I I see. What can we do? How can we help each other, ourselves, address the bias that's innate within us? What are some some examples? Well, um, I know that Nicole is going to jump in here too, but part of that is just uh, a few things around cultural proficiency. And um, I've been doing a lot of that work as a professor at San Diego State. And then also when I came to E3, we delved into the area of understanding our own biases, understanding who we serve, understanding their cultures and how we serve them better, first looking in and then looking out. And that work doesn't stop. You know, some people say, well, I've done work around cultural proficiency. We've had courageous conversations. But do you continue to have courageous conversations? Does that work continue? So we started that at at E3 about four years ago, and we continue. That is part of our ethos. It's built in every other week. We meet for 30 minutes on cultural proficiency. How do we continue to become more culturally proficient? Because we know once we stop, that's where the problem comes in because you're never there yet. And I can attest to the uh, the staff development training because it started in our doctoral program where we had to read the cultural proficiency text and actually take that back to our sites. And so I've seen the work in theory and, of course, in, in practical application. So, Nicole, talk a little bit about some examples from your lens for addressing our personal biases, especially with African-American scholars. Yeah, so I I agree with you, Dr. Ward, on, on in everything that you've just mentioned. And, and I would just like to add that as educators, we have to understand that we all have implicit bias um, and we have to acknowledge it and we have to do something to work towards eliminating it and to not letting it into our, our, our sense of judgment. We also have to understand behavior <laughs> and we have to understand how change happens. And so if we're going to look at Um, treating our African-American students fairly, having those high expectations that they can meet these high expectations, that they can learn, that they are prepared, that they are scholars and academics, then we have to address the implicit bias that we have within ourselves. And we have to work towards changing that. And it starts with us. It starts with acknowledging the cognitive dissonance that comes from not being able to understand that these students are not what society has told you they are. And we have to own that. And we have to look at it and take a hard look at ourselves and own our own responsibility for making sure that we do what we can do within our power to not let those biases uh, creep into our thoughts, our thinking, our judgments, and to see our students as people, as individuals, as complex people who come from a a vast variety of backgrounds and actually bring something to the table. Right. So, so true. How many times have we as principals or school administrators walked through and we've seen an African-American male sitting outside the classroom or sitting in the back of the room or the one who is being marginalized because he likes to move and sit down, sit down. And we've experienced some of these things, even with our own children, perhaps. But you talk a lot about the curriculum, too, Dr. Ward, about that one story. Talk about how some of the examples of what's going on in our public charter schools and across all schools, all public schools, and turning that trend around the curriculum. So one of the things is that, in, in, and across the state, there is a, a move to have uh, a cultural uh, course, um, out, uh, a required course on uh, uh, cultural or ethnic studies. Um, and so, but 
We also need to move that into the mainstream curriculum. So when we look at our history books and we see that one story, um, at E3, some of the things that we do is we, we, we say, okay, this is the time and space like uh, um, the Depression era, but what did that look like for our Native Americans, for our African Americans, for our Latino Americans, for our Chinese Americans, so that we bring in multiple perspectives it should never be one story because when you give one story, that becomes the story. So even though our curriculum, our history books bring it that way, we uh, purposefully move out of that to ensure that we have multiple stories and we give kids the opportunity to choose where they want to dig in deeply and bring their voice to have serious conversations. We talk about creating critical thinkers. In, this, in the 21st century, there are five areas that we want our kids to really do well in. We want them to be uh, uh, critical thinkers, creative and innovative, uh, uh, culturally competent, uh, collaborators, and communicators. Well, for them to be true critical thinkers, then they have to have opportunities to analyze information from multiple perspectives and to have some real conversation. So the curriculum needs to shift to yeah. where we are really looking at, um, in general, information from multiple perspectives. Even when we do mathematics, do we teach it just one way? Is that the only way when the, when the student says, teacher, teacher, what about this? And you say, oh, no, no, not that. So how do we um, ensure that kids have opportunities to learn in multiple, uh, from multiple perspectives or multiple avenues and that the information that we give them, particularly in history and English, is uh, has a variety of perspectives. Absolutely. We call that windows and mirrors, right? We need our scholars to see themselves in the mirror, and then we need them to see others outside of the window. So very, very, I'm raising my glass to that. That's a really good, a really good point that our viewers can take away. Let's talk about some of the programs, especially Nicole, that I know that you have seen at the post-secondary level that help our scholars see themselves to get to build up their efficacy and empower them and elevate their understanding to know that they are competent and capable of standing shoulder to shoulder and competing at the college level. Yes, it's it's extremely significant for a black student to really have an experience in which they feel included, honored, accepted and liked. Yes. And also understood. And so there's programs at the post-secondary level, in particular in the California community colleges, and it's actually spreading to to uh, other uh, educational entities outside of the state and so on, uh, called Yamoja. Yamoja is a Swahili word that means unity. And this program brings in uh, students, uh, African-American students, and it teaches them first about themselves. And it spends a lot of time building community. And the idea behind the program is that you learn best in community with others. And it, it talks a lot about and teaches a lot about just the principles of identity and awareness as a person of African descent. And so oftentimes we exclude that identity and awareness piece from the curriculum, from the educational uh, opportunities that we offer to students. And people need to see themselves. 
They need to understand who they are and they have to be connected. And so what the Emoja community does is it really provides an opportunity for students to connect with like-minded students, faculty, administrators from all across the state of California through conferences, through college tours, through really identifying and fitting in to that identity of a Black scholar, a Black person who can achieve academic excellence. And these students thrive in this environment. There's, there's you know, a, a, a thing that I like to say is that Emoja is uh, centered on Black students, but it's open to any student. And honestly, I wish every student could experience the community building, the engagement, the co-curricular activities, the academic supports that really promote the academic achievement for these students. Awesome. That's an awesome uh, example for us. Dr. Ward, I know at E3 and as well as at Price, and per, and I'm sure at at the community college, because Nicole, we know you're in the counseling department. We have a high focus on mental health and wellness. So, so very important for the African-American community, for the African-American scholar. Of course, we employ an MFT at Preuss. We have actually clinical psychologists, three, co- three college counselors, a school psychologist. And of course, we started the mental health program at E3. Talk about the, Let's talk about the mental health and wellness component that is so vital, not only in our schools, but in our community of course, to demystify mental health and to take away the stigma that sometimes in communities of color, what's going on out there in our schools that help our Black scholars achieve because we're focused on that? You know, one of the things that we need to remember is that poverty sometimes brings trauma. And so when kids experience trauma at a young age um, or any time, that trauma comes with them to school. And so we have to find ways to address the trauma. And that's where mental health really comes in. Um, You know, no child wants to, uh, every child wants to be successful. And every child wants the opportunity to be successful. So what are we doing to help them be successful when they come with trauma? That's where mental health comes in. And so at E3, uh, Dr. Griffith mentioned, we do have uh, marriage family licensed therapists there. And our kids have the opportunity to meet with them at any point. They're open to them uh, at any time during the day um, and then even into the early evening hours. Our staff is trained. We participate in training that starts in the summer and again goes throughout the year on uh, trauma-informed care so that we uh, do all that we can so that our kids have a uh, a good experience in school. So we identify kids coming in who may uh, have experienced trauma. Uh, and then we place them in programs like what we call Boys to Men with models of uh, men who can work with them and uh, take them on outings. And, and then our mental health therapist and his team is there for weekly check-ins with our kiddos. We have a program called EduGuide, which really helps our kids to manage themselves, all of our kids to manage themselves and to understand how to uh, help themselves with mental health, mental health awareness. Uh, And then, of course, uh, looking at data, staying focused on the data to understand where our kids are falling, uh, falling out and then how we push in based on that data and using those resources that you mentioned, Dr. Griffith. Extremely important because racism, bias brings trauma. 
And so we need these resources in our school so that when our scholars come and they present to us and they're having these challenges, when we unpeel that onion, we find out that it's because they've been with someone who probably hasn't had a high expectation or didn't treat them equally or prejudged them in a way that was that was painful. And so it's good to have those resources. Uh, Nicole, talk a little bit about the counseling that goes on in post-secondary to address our, our Black scholars and to make sure that they're achieving excellence. Absolutely. Uh we we do academic career counseling as well as mental health counseling. Um, we really highly believe that the students and the community that we serve, being open in particular in the community colleges to everyone, um, can really benefit from having the wide access to these services. I have a background, 10 years in psychotherapy. So I practiced, I still teach at San Diego State in the College of Education and the Department of Counseling and School Psychology graduate program. So I get to train counselors in how to go out and be effective counselors in the community. And it's very important that we demystify the stigma associated with mental health um, within the African-American and Black community in particular, and that we help educate uh, parents and families on the benefits of, of this type of work and services. There is no shame in your game if you're looking for help. It's actually a way that you can have a turning point in your life that can provide more opportunity for you to really be able to focus. At the post-secondary level, um, what we like to do is really frame the work in a brief uh, therapy type model, knowing that if we can utilize mental health services and counseling services, those are retention efforts for our students. That helps the retention and persistence of the students. Students are people and, and, and problems arise and they don't go away because the semester has started. So what we like to do is we like to, to utilize these services to help students understand that we can help you stay in school by coming and getting academic counseling, by coming and getting career counseling, by coming and getting mental health counseling. So it's a retention and persistence measure, but it also is a opportunity for folks to be able to have, have that really in-depth opportunity to, to grow within themselves and gain the coping skills that are necessary to continue through their academic journey. Perfect. We, we love the, ap- the absolute ability to continue. Um, and we are building uh, a neural network uh, that helps them be successful and persist even after uh, post-secondary education. We talk a lot about um, mirrors and having our scholars see themselves. Now, we know there's a teacher shortage for persons of color. We know our staffs are not always as ver- diverse in terms of ethnicity. Tell me how that affects the experience and maybe what are you doing in your world to help make sure that our scholars are able to see themselves? I heard a statistic that said if an African-American scholar sees them a teacher by fourth grade, they're more apt to go to college. And on the converse, if they don't, they're more apt to not go to college because of those models. Tell me what's going on out there, especially Dr. Ward. You know, you're out in the college arena, college of education. Nicole, of course, you're seeing educational training at the foundational level in community college. What's going on? What are some of the examples and what can we do? What should we do? So we we know that we should have diverse staffs. And we know that in order to get there, you have to be purposeful. So we've heard that there is a shortage of people, but really I think it's the marketing effort. So we have to market where the people are that we are looking for. So that's the first thing that we have to be very 
purposeful in seeking diversity. Um, and then we have to uh, ensure that we support those individuals when they come on board. So at E3, when we're, look, when we're looking for individuals, we spend the time that we need. Now there's a certain set of criteria that we need, um, but we're looking for that criteria. And then we're looking for folks who can uh, work with our kiddos, regardless of what they look like, that they have the skill sets and the disposition and the affinity for those that we serve. We also know that kids need to see uh, as many different people as possible from different backgrounds because that helps them when they leave us to work with people around the world. So we, we, we say that we are civically engaged and globally engaged. So to help them with the global engagement, we want them to see lots of different people. So at E3, I can say that our staff consists of African-Americans, Mexican-Americans, other Latinx individuals, Asian-Americans, Chinese-Americans, Filipino-Americans. That's the Rainbow Coalition. That's the Rainbow <laughs> Coalition. And people of all different ages, right? And, and gender preferences. And we believe that that is important so that our kids, uh, we can address the stereotypes that exist out there and so that they feel comfortable with each other. Also for our adults, that they have a voice with other adults to bring in different perspectives, right? So that as we work with our kids, we hear from each other on how to support them and we learn ways to best meet the needs of our kids. So diversity is critical. And uh, the other thing, of course, is supporting that, that staff uh, so that they become a family and want to remain, uh, providing them with opportunities for professional growth and also for leadership growth. Absolutely. The diversity across all categories is what we need and must create. Um, not just how we look, but how we think, how we act, our preferences. So that at the, at the end of the day, that L word, love, unconditional love, is what we're promoting in our schools. Talk a little bit, Nicole, about what's going on in uh, post-secondary in terms of trying to diversify and have uh, that matched. Right. Well, you know, there's there's a notion that there's a lack of talent in particular in our geographic area. Well, we just can't find anybody. We've tried to find them. Um, well, I'm all for developing talent, <laughs> fostering talent, mentoring talent, uh, bringing in your own talent. Um, there's there's a concept out there called culture ad. And if you're an institution that's really got diversity at your core, you really should have a, a widespread strategic plan for how you're going to bring that diversity into your educational organization. And that can look however it is that you need it to look, but you gotta put conscientious thought and effort into it. What type of culture add in terms of addition do you need to bring in to your organization? What is it that you are lacking and then go out there and find it. There are strategies and ways that you can hire that can help you retain more people of color. Uh, cluster hiring is a great strategy for that. Just hiring one person of color, if you're in a predominantly white institution, will diminish the possibility of retention potentially for that individual. Hire people in groups and community 
and have them make connections early on and support the work that they're doing through professional development and ongoing training. Additionally, um, Qualcomm has recently implemented blind application processes. So again, think about that implicit bias that I talked about a little bit earlier. Is it necessary to have certain things on an application that really don't have anything to do with skills, qualifications, and abilities to do the job? And that paper screening process, lots of folks get weeded out. There was actually a study uh, that a, a, a distinguished professor, Devin Cabardo, did at UCS, UCLA um, that he presented on, where they had a memo that had a name on the top of it that was presumed to be Black, African-American, and a name on the top of it that was presumed to be white. And same exact memo. Handed it in to executives to review, and they found all kind of typos in the memo that had the name that was presumed to be a black name. No typos in the memo that was presumed to be a white name. So that again shows the implicit bias that can come in just from names listed on an application or a cover letter or a resume. So what Qualcomm has done is they said, we're taking all that away. And that can be a tool that you can look at in terms of your hiring practices to try to eliminate that implicit bias as much as possible in that process. Totally understand. That's our process at UC San Diego. But what has to happen is what we talked about earlier is we have to we have to create talent. Um, In my perfect world, I would open a teacher college at kindergarten for students of color. So by the time they leave high school, we have already trained them to be teachers and we've created a talent pool. That's that's just on another conversation. We'll record that later. But I love the fact that we have to be intentional. We have to be deliberate. We have to create the talent pool. And once we have the pool, then we have to continue to develop. We have to continue to train and address our explicit and implicit biases. So as we close today, I want to throw it out to you for a final word to our audience about how they can or, or what you think is important about creating Black student excellence. And just as our closing thought for this amazing conversation that we've had today. I kind of wanted to to go back to (laughs) another topic that we were discussing, um, just to kind of bring home the piece of creating inclusive environments um, for our our African-American students. Um, and back to the, the racism and bias that we see in the system and the structural problems that we may have and the implicit bias, but also institutional racism. I just wanted to throw out a thought in terms of um, something that that we can really look at holistically um, in critical race theory. We know that um, it, it kind of created an opportunity for critical race pedagogy to come out of it. And now what is emerging is critical race parenting. And working with parents in terms of how they can help shape the ideas that their children are having, because children are starting to formulate opinions about race before they get to us in the school system. Absolutely. And so just kind of wanted to add and put something out there with regard to thinking about this in a holistic fashion. And parents can also do their part. looking at the communities in which you 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 determine that you're going to live in. If you're living in in, in an isolated uh, suburb where there aren't people of color, where there isn't diversity, where you're raising your children in a way in which they don't get to experience the richness that they may 
uh, encounter when they get into a, an, an academic environment, is that really doing them a service? So I just wanted to add that to the to the conversation before we wrapped up. <laughs> well, that's a good wrap up. Dr. Ward. And I'd just like to say that, um, you know, we, we focus on eight tenets of critical thinking and one is discipline of mind and two is thinking about your thinking. And I'm just going to stop it two, well, maybe I'll go to three, which is um, being open-minded. And uh, what I ask our audience to do is to engage in that discipline of mind of thinking about your thinking. And when you see others, to check yourself. When those ideas pop into your head that are not necessarily the best, to check yourself, ask, why am I thinking this? And how should I be thinking? I'm going to ask that you engage in that and make part of that your practice, your day-to-day practice. That's a great closure. Be the change. And it starts with our own thinking, thinking about our thinking, and it never goes away. Well, we're going to wrap it up today. I'm sure we'll come back again at another time to talk about creating Black excellence for all scholars, not just in California, but throughout the world. It's a critical issue. It's a critical time. It's a critical topic. Ladies, you've been amazing. I'm going to raise my coffee cup to you and thank you again for a great conversation. Thank Thank you. you.